Um, we're going to be in Romans today. We're going to be back in Romans. We took a couple weeks off, been doing some different things, and we're going to jump back in in Romans 6, and we're picking up in verses 5 through 11 this morning. And so it's uh, probably, I don't always plan out the, the breaks when we have breaks. Some things just come up, like what we talked about last week, some of those things that we needed to address as a church, and we don't always plan those things out. So um, it would have probably been great um, to not have a break where we did between these sets of verses because verses 1 through 4 go really well with verses, obviously, 5 through 11. And so you might need to, as, as you spend time with this text, I hope later, that go back and, and read verses 1 through 4, go back and, and maybe listen to that, uh, that message because it, it goes hand in hand and frames the really the framework for these verses today. So, um, but what I want to do before we kind of dive into the word this morning is something I don't usually get to do, but it's something that I do when I am teaching at the college. I do it sometimes, depending on the class I'm teaching, specifically in, in lecture-style classes. I'll do this on the first or second day of class just as a way to get a, get a feel for students and kind of just kind of an icebreaker thing. And so I was thinking about this text today, and we've just started our fall 2019 semester at the college, and so I've had a privilege to meet uh, a lot of new students as they're coming in and getting in classes, and uh, I'd, I'd, I'd recently, I guess a couple weeks ago, went through a couple of these questions with a couple of my classes, and I said, you know, this, this fits with the text this morning. So what I'm going to do, um, if, you have, if you're taking notes or just have a piece of paper, I want you to take out a piece of paper, have a pen, or if you don't have that, just take out your phone because you want to text this to yourself or something, but you want to write these answers down somewhere, because if not, it's not going to... It won't work for you, okay? And you don't have to share these or anything. It's just going to be for you to look back on. So I'm going to ask you two questions, and I want you to write down your personal answers, okay? Write them down, scrap sheet of paper, something like that. Nothing you're going to have to turn in or anything like, we're going to see what you wrote down. So the first question is, I want you to name a body of water and then list three words to describe that body of water, okay? So it could be any body of water, uh, Atlantic Ocean, uh, Deep River, whatever, any body of water, and then three words that you would use to describe that body of water, all right? This is one of these uh, kind of mental icebreaker, yet not really uh, questions we do. And you'll see how this relates to the text in just a minute. So body of water, three words to describe that specific body of water. All right, and then we're only doing one more question. And this is more of a uh, scenario, I guess. And I got it up here so you can understand the scenario. So imagine you wake up from sleeping to find you are in an all-white room. This room has no windows or doors, the walls, the floor, the ceiling. Everything's white. Write down the words you would uh, use to describe your feeling in that particular moment as you wake up. Kind of a crazy scenario, right? Like, what am I doing with this? Why am I making y'all do this? So everybody should have a body of water listed, three words to describe that body of water, and then this scenario question. You wake up, white room, no windows, no doors. How do you feel? All right, so what this is, and some of y'all are finishing writing down your answers, what this is is a little bit of a, a psychological game to some extent. So 
there's what the words that you've written down, not specifically the body of water, but the words you've written down, um, your descriptive words and your feelings for the second question, are designed to maybe tell us a little bit about your feelings about something else. It's kind of a hidden psychological thing. And so um, the, the three, if you go back now and look at the three words you wrote down about your body of water, most, uh, if you read uh, the experts, and by experts I mean the internet, um, and whatever experts that is, um, the words you list to describe your body of water are your particular feelings about relationships. So go check that out, see if that works. Is any, anybody's checking out like, hey, that worked out well? Or nope, didn't work out at all. Some of y'all are like, nope. So you're, this, just relationships in general, family, friends, whatever. I know uh, this past or last week or so I had some students that did, uh, I think they did Jordan Lake and they described it as like dirty, nasty, don't want to go there. And I'm like, okay. So, you know, and so it didn't really necessarily fit, um, but it might. So I don't know. All right. So the second question, and this is the one that really lines up with our text today, and y'all can decide if this also fits, is the three words you describe to your feelings about being in this white room, no windows, no doors, are supposedly uh, the way that we feel possibly about death. And go back and check out your words and see if they line up with the feelings that you might have that are subconscious maybe about death. I know one thing that uh, students have typically portrayed to me is that, and I have a bunch of other questions I ask too that I do this with and it tells you something about yourself or whatever. And half of them don't line up, obviously, but a lot of them do. And the one that typically does is that last one. And when I ask students, did your words you listed for the all-white room, did it line up with your feelings about death? And most of the time, not everybody, but most of the time my students will say, yeah, it, it actually, it does. And so a lot of the words they would use that I hear a lot um, for number three, and obviously, they don't know it's about death, obviously. They are thinking it's about the white room. Confused, empty, lonely, panicked, cold. Um, that, that might be a bit of some of the words you used. And so that's a lot of the words that I hear. And if you think about the way that some people would say, what do you think about death? What are your feelings about death? a lot of us would maybe have similar feelings. And so I don't know for you personally if it overlapped or not, but today's text in Romans, I hope whether your words were like my students' words or whether your words were totally different, I hope the text in Romans today will paint a picture of the truth that will forever change the way you feel or you may feel about death. I want you to see something in this text today that will not only, should not only encourage you, and reassure you, but should just change your the positional line of thinking, especially when it comes to death. So maybe at the end of this, you go back and you revisit your words, and maybe, obviously, I, weren't, I wasn't asking you about death. I was asking about a white room, but maybe you'll see that maybe those things that we do feel, even if we don't even realize we feel them, uh, can be erased in terms of confusion and coldness and emptiness because of the Word of God, specifically as it relates to uh, sin and the, and the separation caused by sin and then the subsequent death caused by sin. So I'm going to go ahead and get into Romans chapter 6. I'm going to read um, the, the verses here. You can follow along up on the screen. Again, we're just reading a few verses this morning. We're not going to be uh, real long. So 
Here we go, verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also, or you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So in verse 5, we track back there, Paul is kind of following up with the, the truths and the things he was teaching in in verses 1 through 4, about our identification with Christ. And he's saying that a person who is in Christ, they not only identify with his death, but they also identify with him in his resurrection. Uh, Another way Paul stated that is in Galatians. Paul said this to the church in Galatia, uh, chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith, and the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul was saying there in that passage in Galatians, the same thing he's saying here in Romans 6, and he's elaborating on that truth that, that we are no longer slaves to sin because through Jesus' death we have died to sin and we've been set free from sin. So it takes away the, the, the dominion and the slavery aspect of sin. And look, if he continues in verse 6, he says, We know that our old self was crucified with him, with Jesus, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, in in verse 6, obviously a lot of times up here we'll use the English Standard Version. There's a lot of good versions of the Bible that that are accurate. And one of those, uh, King James Version is one, and that phrase in the ESV that says, in order that the body of sin may be brought to nothing, I believe in the King James Version is translated that the body of sin might be destroyed. And I think that's a very accurate picture. It is, and yes, I mean, being brought to nothing is the same as being destroyed, but that destruction, that annihilation is a more active type word that I think better paints a picture of what verse 6 is saying. It's that we know that our old self was crucified with Christ in order that the body of sin might be destroyed. So if you have King James, you probably read that, 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 that makes a, a clear picture in, in my mind. Um, and I think it's probably a more accurate depiction of Paul's point is that the crucifixion destroyed the slave owner, and that slave owner is sin. So it is, it's not just made to nothing, which is true, what the ESV is saying is true, but it was a destruction of the slave owner, and that slave owner is sin. And then, and then verse 7, the one that says, for one who has died has been set free from sin, here's what we're talking about, the entire dynamic of sin's relationship to man, it has forever been changed positionally. And by that, what I'm talking about is imagine, so 
if you're in Christ, if you've asked for forgiveness, you've repented of your sin, and, and you've asked for salvation, number one, we know that he's faithful to honor that and, and, and you receive salvation. But number two is that now that you're in Christ, you are positionally very, very different than the person that is not in Christ. Think of it like being in a courtroom and imagine you or I are on trial for something that you or I know that we 100% are guilty of and you're wondering why are we even having this trial because I've admitted I've done it, I know that I've done it, there's tons of evidence that I've done it and you get up to the, the, the courtroom and the, the judge is making the ruling and you step up and that judge being God and the, and the judge says no, I find you not guilty. And you're like, wait a minute, I know that I did this. You know that I did this. Everybody knows that I did this. And he says, no, I find you not guilty, not because of your guilt, but because of Jesus' death. That because Jesus' death brought death to sin's grip, brought death to sin's eternal consequences. So when you think about that, you think about that courtroom kind of setting, when Jesus died, the crucifixion, the kingdom and the reign of sin where once and for all they were overthrown and they were overcome. So from, there, from that point forward, when he died to sin, we also, if we are in Christ, we positionally have died to sin. All right? Now I want you to keep that in mind. We're going to circle back there because you might have some questions as to, okay, if we've died to sin, then how, how come I'm still struggling with sin? And we're going to circle, circle back there at the end. Keep going right now in verse 8. We just read 6 and 7. Verse 8. In verse 9, says, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. Okay, so this number one in verse 8, not only reference to living eternally in heaven with Jesus, if you're in Christ, yes, but it's also uh, our ability to live for him now, to pursue a relationship with him now on earth. Because now sin no longer separates the sinner from the Savior. Okay, so this is... Verse 8 is an eternal picture, but it's also a picture of the here and now. There is no separation because Jesus bridged that gap. The separation that sin caused, Jesus said, I've died for that. And then in verse 9, it's, it's up on the screen too, we know that uh, Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. So here again, Paul's referencing the massive eternal shift that took place that day at Calvary when Christ died, he was raised from the dead, and that results in death losing all dominion for all time. It, 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 it is dead. Death has died and death is dead. Pastor John MacArthur, he, he stated it like this. I love hearing the, uh, the words of other men and women who are much smarter than me. But he said, the, the sin that made us subject to death is no longer master over us, just as it no longer is master over him. And then he continued, it also can never be our executioner. We've we got to remember the, the extreme close link between sin and death. And when he says it can no longer be our executioner. So sin, number one, is was a slave owner and now has been destroyed. So it has no dominion over you in terms of slavery. And then secondly, it has no dominion over you in regards to the eternal consequences that are due from sin. 
Uh, we're going to get to this a couple, maybe a couple weeks from now, but later in chapter 6, and most of y'all have memorized this verse, but Romans 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So when Jesus died and he rose again, he destroyed the, men, the dominion of not just one kingdom, but he destroyed the dominion of two kingdoms, the kingdom of sin and the kingdom of death. And we always got to keep those two things very closely. The Bible links those two things closely together. They're different, but yet very linked together. And so that's what we see there in verse 23 of this chapter. So sin equals death, okay? So that, there's that link. But when Christ died, through him we have the eternal gift, the eternal free gift of eternal life, which is the result of the destruction of sin and the destruction of of death. Jesus destroyed death, he destroyed sin, and yet at the same time, this is what's so amazing about the cross, is he made possible the free gift of God, which is eternal life in heaven with him forever. So that when we talk about, uh, if all of our songs talk about the cross and the resurrection, and, and all of our sermons talk about the cross and the resurrection, it's because we literally cannot talk about it enough. Uh, we have all of eternity to worship God for what he's done at the cross and what he did at the resurrection, and it's still not enough. We can never talk about the cross and the resurrection enough because it forms a very framework of our position, not only here and now, but eternally in Christ. Those last two verses in this, this text, Paul's kind of summarizing here, and I like the way he says this. He said, for the death he died... He died to sin, which, by the way, is interesting that he would die to sin knowing that he himself is sinless, is, was, and will always be sinless. But yet he died to sin, that's because of me and you, once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. And then here's Paul's instruction, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. See, Jesus died to sin to pay the penalty that sin demands. If you think about it, Jesus never knew sin. He, he took on our sin. There's no way he could die to sin himself. He would, has none. Second Corinthians, Paul said it like this, for our sake. And you can put your name in there for, you know, for Thad's sake, for your sake. For our sake, he made him to be sin. To be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Can you, can you imagine that just for a minute, that the idea that Jesus became sin, to be sin? Like we don't even want to be associated with it, and we're usually ashamed and embarrassed of our sin, and we hopefully if we're in Christ, we immediately uh, repent and, and ask for forgiveness and turn and you know, that's not who we are. And Christ says that's not who we are. Our identity is in him, it's not in the sin. And yet Christ, for our sake, was made to be sin. The very person who never, ever knew sin. What an incredible sacrifice. This has often been referred to as the, the great exchange, or the beautiful exchange, where Jesus takes on our sin so that we can take on the righteousness of God. It's the most unfair exchange in the history of the world. 
But it is the gospel, and it is the thing that forever changes our lives. And it's not just a life change that we have in the life to come, which is very true, and that's something we should be looking forward to is the life to come, but it's a life change here while we're on earth. If you look at that phrasing in verse 10, he says, for the death he died to sin once for all. This was and will always be the greatest victory in the history of the world. And I love how I was reading in one commentary, or maybe it was a, a, a pastor said this, that this is the one victory. Not only is it the greatest victory in the history of the world, but it's a victory that will never need to be repeated. Victory that never needs to be repeated. Can you think of anywhere else in, in life where when you have victory, if, if it's the business world or your personal life or your spiritual walk, uh, where you have victory that never needs to be repeated. It always has to be repeated. I always think about things in terms of sports. And so you have, you know, your professional leagues, your, your college championships, and as soon as one of those sports seasons is coming to an end and there is a, you know, national champion, a world champion named, then guess what? Almost immediately the, 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 the media changes, the rhetoric changes, well, can they do it again? Who's the new champion going to be? Who's going to be the new world? Who's going to win the championship next year? You know why? Because that championship no longer is meaningful. Because it has to be repeated suddenly. So all that work, all you did, all that stuff that was put into that championship is now wonderful. Congratulations. We're proud of you. Pat yourself on the back. But who's going to do it again? Who's going to repeat? Who's going to do it again? And in this, in this scenario here, That question is never asked because it never needs to be repeated. Christ's victory on the cross, not only the greatest victory of all time, but when he says, Paul says, once for all, it was done. When he said it was finished, it is finished. It will never, ever need to be repeated because it is final and it is eternal. And what I would just, you know, think about as we we leave this passage, and we're going to transition... Next week in verse 12, and I wanted to kind of have a, a clean break there as we go into um, looking at the death that we have and, and that we have naturally that comes through Adam and then the life we have in Christ. But as we, as we, as we, as we leave some of that and, the, and we see that some of the, that we're going to be slaves to righteousness now and how that looks in our lives, that what can we draw from this text? And specifically, what can we draw from really the first half of, of chapter 6, even going back into some of chapter 5 and 4. And I believe that this text paints so much encouragement, that we should draw so much encouragement, so much just overwhelming joy, that not only for the present time, but for all of eternity, that sin has no more dominion and that death is dead. Death can't separate. And, and yes, and this is where we're going to circle back around that while we're in the flesh, that would be everybody in this room, because we have not yet passed into our new life, our new glorified bodies in heaven, which is coming sooner than we, we probably realize. But while we're in this flesh, we're going to struggle. I mean, everybody knows that. We're going to struggle with temptation. We're going to struggle with sin. But I just want you to know, in those struggles and in those battles, that you need to always rest in the, in the truth that the war over sin and the war over death 
the war's already been won. You might be struggling in a battle with sin. You might be battling in a, sin, a, a, a relationship issue or a, a job issue or maybe it's a family home issue. And you might be, it might be a personal issue where you're just battling a sin on a, on a personal level. Just know that that battle's real and that battle's intense. But at the end of that, the war's already over. The war is done. It has been declared once and for all, if you are in Christ, we know who wins the war. The war is over. It doesn't mean that the battles here on this earth will not exist. But just know that sin, because of what Jesus did on the cross, that sin can no longer separate and death can no longer dominate. If you have that mindset, I think we will see our battles here on a much more temporary level. Sin can no longer separate, and death can no longer dominate. Yes, there will be dark nights, and there's going to be some long battles, and some of y'all might be in those right now. But I always go back to Galatians 6, 9, and it says this so clearly, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So you might be engaged in a long battle. You might be engaged in one that feels like it's never going to end, and I've been there and and it's it's a really tough place to be but knowing that the war has been won and we look look what Paul says in Galatians 6 do not grow weary in doing good and he says don't give up don't give up for in due time and in due season we will reap and you know why we will reap because the war has been won so just keep plugging away it's like that idea of of keep on keeping on and and putting your head down to the grindstone and just, you know, get through it and realize that whatever it is you're going through is very temporary, that we would not neglect doing goods for in due season we would reap if we do not give up. I want to close today with just a a, a quote I read recently uh, from from Pastor J.D. Greer at the summit, and I think he wasn't specifically talking about Romans 6, um, but it ties so well to Romans 6 that I wanted to use this, day, this, this quote to close. And as we do on the first Sunday of every month, we're going to celebrate uh, communion together. And uh, Victor's going to come and, and set the uh, table for us in regards to our hearts. But here, here's the, the, the quote um, that I want to go to. And I think it really summarizes the message of this, this text. And... and, and Pastor J.D. said, when you struggle with sin and you've fallen again, and that's going to be all of us, okay, you've got to look at the finished work of Christ and thank God that his acceptance of you is no longer based on how well you live the Christian life, but it's based on Christ's finished work. When Paul said he died once for all, is a finished work. You are not accepted into the kingdom of God because of how well you are executing the Christian life. Now, that's not to say that we shouldn't try and we shouldn't grind and we shouldn't put our heads down and do that. But your acceptance and my acceptance to the kingdom has no bearing on, well, did I live good today? Did I live good yesterday? No, it is based on Christ finished work on the cross. I mean, if that doesn't give you joy, doesn't give you encouragement, that there's been one victory, the greatest victory of all time, declared for all time, and never needs to be repeated, I mean, I think we're missing the joy of 
the gospel. We're missing the joy of, of Romans 6, really the whole joy of the whole, the whole Bible. So I hope you're, you, you draw some encouragement from that. And um, I'm going to pray. Victor's going to come, and he's going to set up a communion for us as we go into that time of a celebration. Lord, we thank you for your word, and I pray, Lord, that it would resonate with your people this morning. I just pray, Lord, that we would draw joy and encouragement from it, that the death that your son died, Father, you said, I'll go back to Second Corinthians, we were just reading there, that you made your son to be sin, yet he knew no sin, so that we could be accepted, as J.D. Greer was talking about, we're, we're accepted because of your work, Christ's work on the cross, not because of our good deeds or our good lifestyle or our reputation or, or whatever it might be. Thank you that it doesn't depend on us because if it did, we, would, we know that our eternity would be forever secure and we'd be forever eternally away from you. Thank you that our eternity, thank you that our identity rests in you. And the greatest victory of all time, your finished work on the cross and the resurrection from the dead that defeated not only sin and its slavery, but defeated death. And that death is now dead. It has no dominion over us anymore. Thank you that we can celebrate that. I want to pray for Victor as he comes. I pray for our hearts, Lord, that we would be willing to uh, spend some sweet time with you in these next few moments. Uh, and I pray that we would see this, Lord, as an opportunity to celebrate, an opportunity to reflect, an opportunity to, to make things right that, that may need to be made right with you. Um, you give us this privilege here at, at Connect Church the first of every month, and um, it is a sweet, sweet privilege you give. And I pray that you would uh, just fill this place now uh, with your spirit. Let it guide and lead us in your name. Amen.